0: hopefully you've kind of taken it down a peg and things are a little bit more manageable
1: hello and welcome to the meditation daily podcast my name is William Renner if you are new to the show we are here to bring you mindfulness in daily life and to use that wisdom to envision a brighter world
0: it's a good one for when there's like an overwhelm kind of sense
1: on today's episode, I spoke with Laura Freeberg, a mental health professional, about different techniques to keep the mind happy and healthy. I
0: can still say, check, I did my self-care, you know, but like really was, did that feel like self-care?
1: So go ahead and hit that subscribe button and please enjoy my conversation with Laura Freeberg. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: So, um, how did you get into this field? What makes you interested in being a health professional?
0: (laughs) It's been a bit of a a long road, I guess. Um, My background is in neuroscience. Um, I've always been interested in brains, but specifically from the mental health perspective. and I was in teaching for a little bit and saw a big need for mental health and my own sort of wanting to get in there and um, talk with students about things that you know were more important to me their their health and their functioning and and I wanted some of those tools in my toolbox to to you know help people when there's something going on that um You know, sometimes it feels kind of like all-consuming, right? And like I wanted to get in there with people and figure it out. Um, And so when I finished in neuroscience and I finished my master's in neuroscience, I got into um, working with people at a mental health clinic. And I've been doing that for, yeah, almost a decade now. Um, And it's been fascinating work and people are amazing. And I just wanted to collect more, even more tools in my toolbox. So, and then I did my um, uh, master's in the arts of counseling psychology. So that makes me, uh, right now, I'm in my practicum. So registered um, psychotherapist qualifying. So um, these things have been on my radar for a long time. um, And I think... Right now, in particular, um, compassion is on my radar in a way that that it hasn't been yet. So it's like you know an exciting new one for me, um, in some ways. Yeah.
1: Hmm. And how does uh, how does compassion tie into it? How is that like from a neuroscience perspective? Perhaps like, do you have any thoughts on compassion?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we know that. Um, compassion, like we can, to kind of like start with a few definitions here, maybe we can start with empathy and like feeling with people, right? Like, so we feel their feelings. They're happy. We're happy. They're sad. We're sad. And so that's, that's what empathy is all about. Compassion layers on another sort of piece where um, we also care about easing their suffering so if someone's feeling something that's that's negative or difficult, that we we get in there and we're feeling with them, we're having that empathy thing, we're feeling with them, but also that we're um, caring to ease some of that suffering. Um, and when we do that, there are areas in the brain that actually find that rewarding. So there's this this piece of compassion where there's a We get a reward. We get some dopamine out of it. We feel connected. And when we're in that sort of feeling with someone and caring about them, we also um, release oxytocin, which is um, involved in a bunch of different things. But one of the things it's involved in is bonding. And Mm -hmm. so um, there's a lot of effects on our brain when we're in that, those moments where we're feeling compassion for somebody that are really positive, that they're connecting, that they're rewarding, that they're, that we want to do more of that. And it's like encouraging us to seek out moments where we can help each other, which I think is, is a pretty cool thing that our body does.
1: <laughs> Definitely. How do we, is there, can we train our bodies to be more compassionate? Is that something that can be learned or is it innate? innate?
0: I think, yeah, we can, we can learn, there's so many things we can learn in our body on a physiological level, um, in ways that, um, sometimes you don't even really think about. Um, so when we're talking about compassion, you absolutely can practice compassion. And I think part of it, there's, there's a few different, um, sort of components there that can be practiced. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it, the more rewarding it is, the more you see the positive influences on other people, the more you feel good about having done that, the more you want to do it. So there's, there's a lot of, um, sort of reinforcing things about having a practice, right? Hmm. Um, so some of the things you can practice, um, would be, so there's, there's three components to compassion. So there's, um, one is, one is a mindfulness piece, so to be sort of aware of what you're feeling and what that other person is feeling. Um, another is kindness, and so um, you know, speaking with kindness coming from a place where you know you're connecting. Um, this also includes your own self-talk, so this can kind of be turned on yourself and have compassion for yourself. Um, and then the other one is that this is all a part of our own humanity. So like connecting over our humanness. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And so we can practice that, all of those three things to get better at at compassion.
1: I want to go to the mindfulness component. To me, that seems like, um, like from a meditation, from a, from a perspective of somebody who does a lot of meditation, um, mindfulness for me is like really... Being, being in the present moment, but in a way that you have to accept difficult things sometimes, you know, you have to be able to face the truth of the situation in order to really understand um, the reality of what's happening. So I don't know if you have any, if you can speak to that in terms of like compassion and being facing difficult things as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of parts of compassion that help us kind of face some of these difficult things. And I think mindfulness mindfulness makes a lot of the emotions that come up seem less dangerous to me. Anyway, yeah, like I think no, I think yeah, there's there's a, even a there's a piece of research that says that if you realize the feeling that you have and you give it a label, just like you would do from like an observer stance and sort of a mindfulness, um, you know, if you're thinking about mindfulness, um, giving emotions a label, and the more specific the label, the better, can help us to accept them and also eases our distress about those emotions. Mm. So if we're feeling sad and we're fighting against feeling sad, that's more distressing than just accepting that we're gonna be sad for a little while. Of right? course, yeah. So, yeah, so those those labels help us to um, kind of take it down a notch and have those feelings be a little less scary. And, and in ourselves, and if we're feeling with someone else, right, when that empathy thing comes in, if they're having a feeling, that's okay, it's not so scary, we know what it is, it's, you know, feelings are temporary, You know, if we have these kinds of things in our mind as we're experiencing, well, if we're operating from that, those kinds of ideas, right, it becomes much easier to then feel our own feelings and accept our own feelings and be with someone who's also, you know, having maybe some feelings that need to be accepted and tended to and and acknowledged. Um, Yeah. So there's, there's this component of mindfulness that just approaching those feelings becomes a lot Um, uh, it becomes an easier process. We don't have to layer on all this distress to fight against having those feelings. We just kind of ride the wave of them,
1: if that makes Mm. sense. And um, have you seen, I don't know if you're able to speak about your clients, but have you, I mean, not specifically, but um, have you seen uh, your clients facing difficult things? Do you have techniques, uh, perhaps other than labeling that uh, you've advised them on.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a number of things that can be done. It depends on what exactly it is, you know, what people are facing. Uh, and one that's um, maybe pretty generally applicable is a grounding exercise, where um, it helps us kind of go from you know racing brain. Um, or, you know, worrying about our difficult experiences to being a little more present. Um, so what the exercise asks, asks you to do is, um, you find five things in your environment that you can see and just name them. You know, here's Mm -hmm. a table, here's a cup, here's a window, here's a dresser, what, you know, whatever it is in your environment. Mm -hmm. And then you take four things that you can hear. And you say, I can hear, you know, uh, the wind, I can hear the traffic, I can hear, you know, whatever it is, find four things, um, three things that you can feel. So, you know, you can sit in your chair and feel, you know, the bottom of your chair. You might feel your clothes. You might feel your breath. Um, two things you can, uh, smell. Um, and what's our last sense? Uh, I feeling?
1: missed one. Uh, uh,
0: taste. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the last one's taste. I for myself when I do this one, I'm not so hung up on the numbers and what matches, you know. But the right. idea is you just find a few things for every sense in your environment. So it's easier to find things you can see. So we say that's the five. But it's it's just a way of remembering to check in with each one of your senses separately and find a few things that you're experiencing in the moment. And often, you know, at the beginning, when you're seeing things in the environment, your brain might still be kind of racing a little, you know, if you're having one of those kinds of moments. By the end, hopefully you've kind of taken it down a peg and things are a little bit more manageable. It's a good one for when there's like an overwhelm kind of sense, Mm. right? And there's something, you know, distressing that you have to kind of come back to the moment.
1: This is really neat. A A few things come to mind here. Um, One of them was that that I had a memory of um, somebody reaching out over the internet and they were in a really distressed place and I remember advising them uh, to try to hear the faintest sound that they could hear and they told me afterwards that that was really helpful for them and I mean that comes to mind because I think oftentimes when we're in these kind of stressful situations um, or the mind is racing, we think we're perceiving certain things Like we see everything kind of uh, has a tinge of like ugliness or, um, you know, we might only hear all of the, uh, you know, abrasive noises. Whereas if you really start paying attention to the moment and speaking of abrasive noises, I hear my Pandora, my (laughs) cat starts going crazy, which she tends to do. Um, My wonderful cat. Uh, there 's always a sound in the environment there 's so many different sounds in the environment, so the reality coming coming really into the depth of the reality i think um, you know folk like a practice like this can be super helpful for sure
0: mm, mm. yeah, and this one is is pretty easy to implement when things are difficult with things like meditation and breathing sometimes they're the hardest to implement when things are hard um and so you have to practice when you're you're yeah not in overwhelm to be able to use them in those moments right so it's nice to have something that kind of um might take it down a notch that you don't have to practice so diligently before, because there's there's sometimes there's a period as you're learning to meditate or learning to be a bit more mindful or whatever you know that skill that you're learning. Sometimes there's a period where you need to reach for something, and that one becomes really difficult. And so that it's nice to have some some kind of um you know a little something to get you in those get you through those sort of overwhelm moments. Sometimes it even can be a transition, right? So an overwhelm do a grounding exercise, move into a meditation, and it becomes more accessible then, yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I know with um, Anapana meditation, which I practice Anapana and Vipassana, and with Anapana, it's awareness of the breath, uh, the natural breath, it's not taking deep breaths, it's just noticing the breath that's already happening. But in order to notice the subtlety of the breath that's already there, you really have to be able to like, calm your mind to, I mean, it's, it's a feedback thing. You, by noticing the breath, you're calming your mind, but you also have to be calming your mind in order to notice the breath. And so that's why training on a daily basis when you're not stressed is the way to make it so that that becomes an automatic pattern when you are in a stressful situation. Um, and then with vipassana, it's, it's focusing on the sensations on the body. Um, so the sensations come through the, the sense doors of um, the eyes and the ears and the sense of touch. So labeling things and, you know, um, coming to them in that kind of grosser um, way, might grosser in the sense of like more um, uh, broader, way rather than the kind of precision of the of the subtlety of the breath uh, makes a lot of sense. Do you have a cat on your end I as well? I do.
0: I was just going to say, <laughs> mine is kind of uh, up in my business here. She jumped down, so <laughs> I think she might be back. We'll see.
1: I thought I saw I'm, a tail.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's my little foster buddy. <laughs>
1: hmm. So how do we have yeah. compassion for these crazy animals when they... Uh, when they go berserk how do we have <laughs> compassion for those that we can't communicate with um, through verbal through human language
0: oh yeah that's a hard one hey practice <laughs> practice mm. with our compassion muscles I think one of the things so the so we talked a little bit about mindfulness the second one is in, in that is the second piece of the puzzle in terms of compassion is kindness and so one of the things to practice is your self-talk around whatever situation or however you're thinking about other people um, and just kind of noticing what's going on in there. <laughs> is it, you know, uh, the interpretation that that is really the interpretation that you want, right? Is right. there maybe some editing that you need in there? Um, like, what are you telling yourself about this situation, or this person, or this animal?
1: I want to go back. (laughs) Can
0: be a hard one.
1: I I want. I want to go back a bit to the mindfulness thing while while talking about this and the senses on the body, because I find that a lot of the self talk that happens in the mind, it's at least from the perspective of vipassana, that a lot of the emotions come from. The, the sensations in the body, like subtle sensations that we're not aware of. So if we have like a pain in, the, in our back that we're not aware of, we might start having angry uh, talk about you know negative talk about a situation that happened. But in, you know if you can really have awareness of your body that can help change. I mean all of this stuff is a feedback pattern, but it, you know having awareness of more awareness of the body, I think can help a lot in terms of the self-talk.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's like a a two-way street, like physiologically speaking, right? Between, um, sort of your, your brain and the rest of your body and your thoughts influence that two-way street. So your body will feel like something, right? However it is, maybe there's a pain in your back. Maybe there's a, you know, however, tension in your muscles, something, your body will feel that. And send signals to your brain. Your brain says, okay, yep, I, I feel that tension. I see that. Okay, we must be a bit anxious, right? right? And then then the brain will send signals to the body. Okay, you're a bit anxious. So like tension needs to happen and whatever, you know, we're getting ready to deal with the problem, um, which is useful. We need to be able to deal with problems and anxiety is a useful thing. Um, we don't want it to kind of run amok though, right? Or mm-hmm. appear when it doesn't need to be around so there's you know there's there's um you know a limit to its usefulness um but then the way that we think will influence that two-way street of the body sending signals to be anxious to have anxious body and the body signals to the brain saying oh look I'm anxious so um when we think about you know when we look at our thoughts if we think about something in a way that's Mm, how can I give a good example here? Well, let's do traffic. <laughs> traffic is a good example, I think. So, um, if you imagine that you're having, let's say you're having a terrible day and now you're stuck in traffic and you're, you're sitting there and nobody's moving and you're on the highway and, 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 uh, somebody cuts you off. hmm what so, so then it's we can think about our thoughts, our behaviors, and our feelings about that, right? So, if you're having a terrible day, someone's just cut you off in traffic, what thoughts might somebody have? Do you think,
1: right? Um, that. I, I don't want. I'm not sure if I should be swearing on this podcast or not. But in real life, I'd probably be like, "You know, wow, wow, wow." Yeah, yeah. Maybe not me because I've been practicing a lot of vipassana. Like I'm getting much better right. with these things. But yeah, in yeah, general, yeah. Um, We're you start to average
0: Joe. What would you be doing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you exactly. start to say
1: this person. I mean, yeah, me of course. Sometimes somebody you just think this, you know, blank, blank, bleep, bleepity bleep, bleep is doing blah blah bleepity bleep. <laughs>
0: Yeah, how dare they? Right?
1: Yeah, how dare they? <laughs> I was doing yeah. everything right. This person was doing all this horrible stuff wrong.
0: Right? And then yeah. the, this is—you know—this becomes the story that we're telling in our head, right? Yeah. And then there's feelings about that, right? So, like, this is—we're irritated. We're angry. We're sometimes there's rage involved, right? Different yeah. levels of it, whatever. But there's—you know—there's this. Um there's maybe a feeling of injustice, right? Like, how dare you do that? We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be doing that to each other. We're all stuck in traffic. Why are you, right? Yeah. On and on. But, but this feeling, right? The feeling of injustice, the feeling of anger. And then what do you do about that? Well, okay. Maybe you like hit your steering wheel or you flip them off or you, you know, like whatever right. reaction, right? Your behavior. Do you cut somebody else off? or what? I don't know, right? Whatever, whatever you do. um, And... So the way that we think about that situation influences all of this stuff.
1: Um, When you cut somebody off, you have, or when somebody cuts you off, you're triggered and this thought is happening. But I think from a perspective of uh, Vipassana, and I just came out of this uh, 10-day meditation, uh, that the thoughts that are being triggered, they're they're happening because your awareness can only, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but your awareness can only kind of be at one place at one time. So if you're aware of the thoughts that are happening in your mind, then there are feelings that are happening in your body that you're losing your awareness of. So you might, you know, have been suddenly had to slam on the brakes and you might have all of this tension that's happening in your body, but because your thoughts are racing with your mind, you're not able to release that attention in a way that is fluid and um, peaceful, and instead you're, you know, building more because you're lost in your mind. So I think awareness and attention might have something to do with this as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so the, all of the things that are kind of influencing to to create the situation in the moment, right, the feelings and the behaviors and the thoughts, there is... Um, if our attention is on how our body is doing, we're not attending to that. Be- we're not stuck in that being angry at the person. Right. Mm-hmm. So like there's a switching of our, our sort of attentional focus and, and um, we then can have a better understanding of what's going on and then make better choices about it too. Right. Um, so maybe like when we understand that, um, you know, we were having a bad day and this person cut us off and that's the situation, you know, however you think about it, maybe I can't change this. I'm part of traffic too. Uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, does this matter? You know, whatever, like, um, you know, uh, approach or reminders that are, that put it into a better perspective.
1: Yeah.
0: That has a lot, that will impact the way our body feels yeah. and are the way our, if we're attending to our body, right. That's impacting the thoughts that are available to us, you know, um, the, all the automatic stuff, um, doesn't have to be the end of the story, right? Like if we notice it, when it comes up, then there's like, what are we layering on top? Right. Are we, is it, a better perspective in our thoughts? Or is it, I'm just going to get lost in these thoughts and be angry for a while, right? Right. Like it's kind of malleable in that way. And so there's a lot of different, those ways of like attending to your body, being an observer to your thoughts. These are a lot of ideas that are floating around with mindfulness. And those are like inroads to influence how you're responding to that situation. Hmm. Um. yeah. Yeah, from lots of different perspectives, that's how kind of how it
1: works. Mm. So it's like one, I mean, I guess this is kind of obvious, but it's just a whole bunch of different processes that are happening concurrently and, there's, and feeding back on each other. And then it's basically just finding different inroads, as you say, like different ways of uh, putting on the brakes, like getting into that situation. And uh, again, coming back to the reality of the moment. Whether that's yeah. a narrative reality of the moment or a physiological reality,
0: yep. And and so in the brain, there's two loops that are involved in anxiety, and this is true of you know sort of our general emotional reactions in some ways as well. But anxiety, it, I think, is it's kind of the the clearest one where our sensations come in, and our brain makes. An interpretation about should is this anxiety? Is this a problem? Right? Are we facing something that we have to deal with right now? And um, that's a very there's there's a fast loop right that produces emotions quickly. That are, it's our our amygdala is kind of at the center of this. So our sensations come in, they go up through our, a relay station called your thalamus, they go to your amygdala, your amygdala. Is involved in a lot of different emotional processes. Is this all in the
1: brain or is this like in the spinal cord? All in the brain, okay.
0: Well, okay. So your senses come up through your peripheral nervous system, through your arms or wherever they are, through your spinal cord to your uh, brainstem and your amygdala is uh, midbrain. So it's in the older parts of your brain. It's a fast response. It's a, is this dangerous or not dangerous? And other, there's a, you know, that's for anxiety in particular. Right? It's involved in processing positive emotions as well. Mm. Um, but dangerous or not dangerous, it'll sound the alarm bells. You know, you're about to fall down the stairs, you know, <laughs> you right. know like you get that Reacts feeling. React quickly. <laughs> yeah, fast. And it's important that we have a fast reaction. Sometimes that's part yeah. of responding to our environment. Like, that's got to happen It's for our safety and, and um, survival. Also, though, there's a long loop in the brain that modulates your anxiety where it goes to your frontal lobes, which are thinking, planning, organizing, right. executive function, emotional regulation, right? Okay. And they're the ones that say, oh, no, you just almost fell down the stairs, right. right? It's okay. You can calm down. So that's why you don't have that I almost fell down the stairs feeling for the rest of the day, typically, right? right? It disappears quickly because your frontal lobe said, no, no, no you were able to catch yourself, it's fine. Like you don't have to be in that state anymore. Right. And that applies to not only falling down the stairs, but other things that might be anxiety provoking as well. So there's this, you know, our our frontal lobes can impact what's going on, but there's going to be something that comes up in your body quickly, right? And so there's, that's sort of two... There's two ways, I guess, or um, there's there's many different strategies in the end, right, to kind of influence that process. And being aware of what's coming up really fast, yeah. right, is a, super useful, right? And then how you think about it, frontal lobes, also super useful. Um, and for some people, it's that... You, they need practice in the thoughts, the frontal lobe stuff, the reinterpretation, the, you know, it's okay, we've got this, we have the resources to deal with this problem, it's fine. Sometimes that's that's the the big one, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the inroad that's the most important for people. Sometimes it's not that at all. It's the body stuff. So things like breathing exercises, grounding exercises, meditation, you know, the things that are more based in our physiology and from moment to moment. Sometimes that's the best way to get in there and calm something like anxiety or deal with emotions that are difficult. And it depends on, you know, what what exactly is going on in there which is going to be the best sort of inroad for each person. Hmm. Or the maybe like a combination for everybody is really the answer, but yeah. um the with with the sort of the best fastest results to kind of get the ball rolling so that you can continue on with that work
1: you know that makes sense yeah Yeah. everyone will have different access points based on their experience and their physiology probably yeah
0: yeah Yeah, exactly
1: Hmm. maybe this uh this is bridges into uh walking uh is it walking meditation we'd spoken about something earlier as well on this
0: yeah, we talked a little bit about um, walk and talk therapy, which is something that I'm I'm um, planning on offering um, probably starting next year at some point, um, which is the the actually doing therapy, so like the regulated act of therapy, uh, but while you're on a walk what i'm hoping to be able to do is walk in a forest somewhere like a more natural setting walking in the city would also be beneficial um you know it'll depend on um location and and client and stuff but um and of course a little bit weather of course <laughs> but um yeah <laughs> um but this this process can be um and kind of give opportunities within a therapy context to practice a lot of the things that we say are healthy for us in terms of um you know our mental health our well-being physical health um uh and our sort of our connection with our environment and our own bodies <laughs> There we go. Um she's an athletic one. I see this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um yeah so that walk and talk therapy can have a can 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 be an opportunity for a lot of things. So we know, you know, um there's a there's a huge body of research that says it's important to get sunlight outside that it's important to move your body, right? So walking walking counts. Often they say that if you want to be able to do something into your old age, do it often throughout your life. And so, you know, walking is probably high up on there on things that people want to be able to do in their old age for a lot of people. So, I mean, it, yeah. it puts the places in an emphasis there, right? um, um uh, yeah, getting getting outside, getting some sunlight, moving your body, um uh all those healthy things that, you know, in a, in a therapy session in the office, often we'll say, you know, are, are you doing those things? Are you taking care of yourself in those ways? And it's nice to be able to kind of walk the talk, do the thing that we're recommending, right? Um,
1: the, the, um, in the therapy context, I guess mostly the client is sitting in a chair, um pretty rigid like there's not probably not a lot of awareness or reason for being awareness of the body within a normal therapy context so in terms of i mean maybe that maybe that depends on the type of therapy but i guess i'm just thinking in terms of like trying to get that uh was it amygdala the the fast response area of the brain in order to um train that and start working with that area um it's hard for me to imagine being able to really do that in a traditional therapy context.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, it. yeah, it depends on the approach of the therapist and what the client prefers, like how they prefer to work. Um, some types of therapy are more, you know, kind of centered in frontal lobe stuff. So... um more centered on sort of habits and logic and self-talk and things that are, you know, uh, regulated by our frontal lobes. Some other types of therapy are more about um, identifying emotions, looking, like really feeling what's coming up in that moment and learning to put words to, you know, what, what people are experiencing and feeling. And some of it is very present now kind of work Um, but not all of it, some of it is, you know, depending on again, what the client's working on and how, how the work is being done. Sometimes it is about, um, past experiences, but then linking to how is that making you feel now, you know, what's, Mm -hmm. what's coming up as you talk about these things. So there's, there's a lot of different approaches and in, in every kind of successful therapy, there's changes that happen in the brain. Um, that are you know, um, an ideal lasting changes that happen in the brain, so that it's functioning in a way that, that works for the client better. Um, pairing an emotional experience um, with that, the sort of new perspective, logic kind of stuff, I think is, from my perspective, is is an important piece in therapy. Um, so whatever context makes that easier to access, I think is a good, a good step in the right direction.
1: With the emotional stuff, like there's, we often talk about feeling the emotion and when we feel an emotion, it's not, I I don't know if there's like, if there's a, a real link to um, the sensations on the body in a traditional way it's like are we feeling a sensation of tingling or a sensation of heat or a sensation of like I don't know anything but like it in terms of like the, the sense of touch maybe or the sense of sight or the hearing like any of our sense faculties they're like are they accessed in traditional therapy other than like I, I'm thinking like art therapy maybe is, is kind of a modern one where maybe there's more of a tactile sensation that's happening.
0: Yeah I would say that that's that's a common place where I start anyway. I don't you know I'm not uh it'll depend on yeah what what kind of um approach the therapist is taking but for me asking how those how does that feel in your body, right? Like you know, if a, if a client were to say, you know, I, I had this thing happen to me and I was really anxious the other day, one of the follow-up questions for me is often, yeah, how did that feel in your body? Can you describe that? Mm -hmm. And so it might be tightness in the chest. It might be, you know, my back was really sore or tense. It might be, you know, my brow is furrowing. And then that, and, and sometimes that's the thing is, well, okay, let's collect a bit. Let's get curious about this feeling. Let's, collect a little bit more information, you know, over the next week, would you be willing to just notice when some of that feeling is coming up and what does that feel like? We can talk about that some more the next time, those kinds of things. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, When we start to notice those feelings and be like those sensations in the body, right? Oh, my, my neck is tense. Oh, I'm feeling that in my chest. Oh, my brow is furrowed, whatever. When we start to notice those we become immediately more aware of how we're feeling, like what the emotion is, because we can connect that chest feeling, that, you know, yeah. we can connect those feelings in the body with a particular emotion, right. which is not something we always think about, right? I mean, some people, that's been more a part of their life than others, you know, but in general, that's not something necessarily that we as a culture practice, Um just in our in our daily lives is noticing our how our body is feeling and be able to talk about it in the
1: moment one, you know one of the things that comes up in anapana meditation is the idea that um, by noticing how the breath is naturally you notice that it's really closely connected to the mind and so when a negative emotion comes up like anger the breath will start to move a little faster so you can like one of the reasons it's so helpful is because it helps you notice kind of a, from a long far distance away when negative emotions are starting to starting to come up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the better we are at that the, the there's like a few things that come out of that, right? If we can notice that we can make better decisions or other decisions, you know, even it's ex- just explore like what I was doing wasn't working, how about let's do something else and see if it's better. Right, it gives us like it's like a wedge between reacting and responding. We can we don't have to do the first thing that comes to our brain. <laughs> we can take a second, right? When we notice, we can take a second and, and make a different choice.
1: Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, self compassion. I know you've been looking into that lately. Um, what are your thoughts on self compassion yeah. and how does that play into this stuff?
0: I, for me, this is an important one because I feel like increasing my ability to be compassionate to myself is going to, is going to improve the quality of my life, uh, huge in, in a lot of different ways. So, um, right now it's really on my radar, um. So, if compassion is made up of mindfulness and kindness and connection to our humanity, turning that to ourselves is really important in, like, treating ourselves well. And the way that we can we can be present, right? We can be kind. We can feel connected. Um, I I want my capacity to kind of get into that human experience and go like yep this is the beauty of being a human we you know we sometimes get really angry we sometimes get sad we sometimes are ecstatic and we're sometimes um just like so cozy it's wonderful right and like just to be able to experience all of that with a lens of um that's what it is to be human and not be quite as averse to experiencing some of those distressful emotions, I think is going to have a big impact on my work and also my own, you know, my own self.
1: I just want to interject there and doing uh, doing the, this ten day Vipassana retreat. What what you really learn through this meditation is that um, whenever we have a negative uh, experience that's happening. And we, the more that we are averse to it, the more that that negative experience will continue and the more that you um, are accepting of it and equanimous with it, which means being neutral with it and not reacting to it, the, the faster it's going to just naturally dissipate. And I guess that's like that's what the, this process of uh, enlightenment or waking up, uh, whatever you want to call it is, is it's just this um, continuous, more and more equanimity, less and less uh, attachment or aversion to these negative experiences, and the mind just becomes more and more clear and more and more peaceful. I probably didn't need to interject and interrupt you there, but that's (laughs) what came to mind.
0: Bingo, though. That's Yeah, that's exactly it. And so um, for me right now, one of my one of the things on my radar, like uh, the challenges of what's going on is that I, you know, I'm working a bunch of different jobs. I'm, you know, still just wrapping up with my school. Um, you know, I've taken on a lot and then I've, you know, I'm trying to support my family in a bunch of different ways. And so sometimes it gets to be a lot (laughs) and sometimes a little overwhelming. And so this self-compassion piece gives me pause and it allows me to ask better questions of myself. So whereas before I might say, what should I be doing right now? <laughs> My new question is, what would it, what would feel good to do right now? Or um, is there something I can do to make me feel a little more like myself?
1: Does that mean so, like eating ice cream um, could feel good or is this like feeling good in a just a sensation kind of way? It could be anyway.
0: It could be anyway. It it's really resp- it's it's taking into account what I need. So this is also this is like right from my immediate like I need to have a shower, <laughs> you know, I need to eat something, right? Right from those like sort of more basic things to, and and immediate things to I need to work on this long-term goal because that would feel good to me because I know like this is something that's really important in my life so um it it could mean all sorts of things and if I'm feeling like really kind of out of sorts there's a few things that I like to reach to like reach for that I know are going to make me kind of like I feel good after doing them So, like going for a walk is definitely one of those. Um, It just kind of helps me do a reset for whatever reason. That's a thing that works for me pretty well. Um, Doing a bit of yoga sometimes is one of those. Um, But sometimes it's going to the grocery store and buying a bunch of junk food. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, that's allowed. You know, like whatever it is that really feels like it's going to be meeting my needs in and the healthier you can do that, the better. Like, of course, there's, there's, if you get into the habit of always dealing with everything by buying junk food, that's going to be problematic. Right. But, um, really though, if you're really addressing your actual needs, (laughs) it's unlikely that you're going to choose something that's, um, something like that, where it's like getting into more of like a, a healthy, uh, sorry, an unhealthy, um, habit. Or like um, like immediate response, right? If you're really, really addressing the things that need to be addressed, like responding to all of your needs in a way that's like clear, mm-hmm. it's unlikely that you're going to kind of go down that road. Um, so it's it's taking away the that I should, right? Um, often when we talk about self care. I should exercise more. I should eat better. I should be sleeping better. I should be, and I right. should be doing all these things, and I should have a smile on my face while I do it, right? And um, forcing yourself to do healthy things for yourself can be important sometimes. Like, that's mm-hmm. not to not to say that that's not the thing, but caring for yourself in this self-compassionate way um, includes responding to your emotional needs rather than trying to force yourself to be or do things to make you valuable, right? So it's a, it's a different approach rather than it being like new year's resolutions and then maybe falling off the wagon, whatever it was. Um, it's, it's taking care of your own needs in a way that's kind, in a way that's mindful and it's a way that's, that's, um, not trying to force you to be a robot. You're trying to be a human, right? Um, And so, so those kinds of asking better questions and looking at things from a lens of like really taking care of myself in the way that is like a moment to moment kind of thing feels a lot better than trying to force myself into more goals when things are already overwhelming.
1: What I've Um, noticed, um, with yeah. the, the question about should, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, is that in my own life, when I feel I should be doing something, it's usually because I'm having aversion to the present moment. It's like, I should be sleeping, I should be sleeping, but instead I'm like up working on something. But but really, I'm, I'm having aversion to the thought of not getting enough sleep rather than um, just facing the fact that like I am doing something and for whatever reason that thing needs to get done so it's rather than generating the anxiety around the should be doing this it's better to just do the thing that you're doing and then do the other thing later
0: yeah yeah it's it thinking in that sort of different way kind of sidesteps a lot of the internal struggle over like what what is happening in the present moment and is this the thing that you know should be happening like we can kind of (laughs) get that get that out of here and just like no it is this is what's happening you know or this is what i need in the moment so i it's not that i should be doing something else i this is what i need
1: like i shouldn't be eating ice cream i shouldn't be eating ice cream so you don't enjoy the ice cream that you are (laughs) eating (laughs) but you eat all the ice cream (laughs) so you lose both ways
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly and you know, one of the other things too about self-care is that we often can do things and, you know, and we're like, okay, we're going to really take care of ourselves. So this is something that I've done. Like, I like to take baths every once in a while. That's like, I find it very calming, like put on my tunes, maybe have, you know, whatever, um, you know, bubbles, nice smells, make it like, yeah, relaxing. And there's a difference. Like I can, put that on my calendar, you know, here's my time for my bath, get it all set up and sit in there and then stew in everything that I've worried about. Right, Right? And that's not a good time. (laughs) Like, but I can still say, check, I did my self-care, you know, but like really was, did that feel like self-care? Did that feel good? No, I just sat in my worries. Like that's not helpful. But if I get in a bath and I'm like, paying attention to, it's a lot of the sensory stuff, right? I'm paying attention to how nice and warm the water is, how the bubbles feel, what the smell is, you know, the music that I'm listening to. And, and it's just that, if I'm paying attention to those things, that's a good time. That feels more like self-care. So how we do these things is important, not just what we do right? Same thing if I'm exercising. Sometimes it'll feel like a slog yeah. and I'm like, I hate this. Why am I, you know, like, this yeah. is terrible. Why am I doing this? I hate running or <laughs> you know, whatever and you it is. You might pull a muscle doing that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're not paying attention to what's going on in your body. So then, okay, well, maybe there's something else that I could have chosen at that moment. Maybe it's exercise in a different form. Maybe it's not to exercise because that's not the thing right now, right? but it's it's responding really to to what what you need in the moment in that sort of, like in a healthy kind, supportive kind of way um, that will and it and it helps that that perspective, right? Like how you do it matters, not just what you're doing, but how the the sort of like quality of the movement, the attention that you're bringing behind it, the all of that um, makes it self-care rather than, just another goal on the list to, you know, check the box to, I've done that thing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for being on the show. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to, uh, to reach out?
0: Uh, so I guess we can put a, an email in somewhere around mm-hmm. there by email is probably the best way. Um, I'm accepting clients and it's reduced fee because I'm qualifying right now. So, uh, you know, if you're interested to work with me, send me an email.
1: And this is, uh, are you doing online work or is this uh, in person or where is this based?
0: So online across Canada. So I'm, I'm in Ottawa, if, if in person is your preference and you can get to Ottawa, then we can do in person. Um, but um, a good chunk of my work is online as well. So whichever one works the best. Yeah.
1: Wonderful, thanks again.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Laura. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel because we have new conversations around meditation, mindfulness, and mental health every single Thursday. Um, I do believe that this is the way to make the world a better place by starting with ourselves and learning how to keep our own minds happy and healthy. So if you have any tips for others, go ahead and share those in the comments and we'll see you in the next one.